You guys can be seated. What an intro. Let me pray. Father, humble me on this stage. Let me be your servant, your mouthpiece today. Let me speak your truth. Delete anything from my mind that's not related to your truth. And let me be used as your servant. Open the hearts and the ears of those that need to hear this message. Pray these words in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, my kids come running into the house and they say, Daddy, there's a bird and it hit the window and it died. Come look. So I follow them out there and my daughter's holding this little bird in her hand. And she said, Daddy, what is it? And I said, it's a dove. And she said, we should bury it. And my son Lincoln said, we should eat it. (laughs) I got to admit, it was a pretty good idea. It's dove season in Texas. And I said, yeah, buddy, we should, we should, I'll take the breast meat out and we'll fillet it and we'll season it and we could each take a little bite. I think that's the best way to honor this little dove's life. So we, we go over to the driveway, and I, and I take this little bird, and I say, guys, look, put, put your fingers right here. You feel that? It's the breastbone. And then I, I slightly apply, apply the pressure, and I slowly peel back these feathers, and it just reveals this beautiful pink breast meat. And then as I turn that over, it reveals this little cavity. I said, look, guys, the, the organs, the intestines, and the, the stomach, and the liver, and the lungs, this is amazing. I said, you know, Jesus said, not even one sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father. Meaning, God made this perfect little creature and knew everything about it, including the time and means and way of its death, right into the hands of these little kids that could behold his glory. And I said, look at, look at this little heart. It's like the size of a blueberry with tiny little arteries and and valves just perfectly designed. God is amazing. Amazing. Do you see God like that when you pray? I I mean, whenever you sit down and you're, you're having dinner and you say, Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food and bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Are we seeing him as this perfect designer? 1 Timothy 6.16 says, He alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Every breath, every heartbeat of every creature on this planet designed perfectly by our creator. Do we see him this way? Is this how we see him when we pray? I'm asking myself the same thing. I'm preaching this to myself. Do we see the one in unapproachable light? Moses asked God to see his glory. God says, you can't see my glory. You will die. (laughs) And with our current tense, these bodies, these fleshly, earthly bodies, we can't see it in full light. 
or we will literally die. We can't be that close to unapproachable light. We can't even get within a million miles of our own sun. Imagine the one that created our sun, right? We think, it, we think of God as love, and that we love to say that. God is love. God is love. And he is. He is everything that is love. He embodies love completely. But that's not his only attribute. He's also just. He's also merciful. He's also forgiving. Maybe most importantly, he is holy. Holy meaning set apart, the perfect one, evoking awe, frightening beyond belief, worthy of complete devotion, unsearchable, incomprehensible, incomparable, great, wonderful, exalted. Holy is his name. I say again, is this the God you're praying to? Holy. I want to take you on this little journey through the Bible. I'm going to take you to six places, and this stuff, this stuff blows my mind. Six places in the Bible where man has seen an appearance of the glory of God. Ezekiel 126. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. You could notice in all these accounts, by the way, the author struggles with adjectives to describe what we're seeing here. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as if it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire, enclosed all around, and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as if it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord that when I saw it, I fell on my face. Daniel 10.6. His body was like beryl. That's like a glassy, transparent mineral found in prisms. His face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished, that's polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. That's what happened to Moses. And I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face. Leviticus 9.23. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord. It consumed the burnt offerings and the piece of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. See the pattern, right? First Kings, 1836. This is Elijah. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Guys, these were written thousands of years apart, by the way. 
And we see similar things each time. All the way to the New Testament, Matthew 17, 5. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they held hands and sang kumbaya. (laughs) No, no. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. That's not what you were expecting it to say. But that's what they did. That's how they reacted to that. Revelation 113, this is John. One like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. There's that burnished word again. Refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is John giving the best adjectives he can. When I saw him, yeah, I fell at his feet as though dead. I, I love those stories. Because it's, it's easy to forget that's who we're praying to. And I got to preach this to myself. I got to go back to Ezekiel and go, God, remind me who you are. Because I don't want to lose that. That's a big deal. One thing is clear from these six passages, no matter who you are, where you grew up, what your religion is, what you believe, if you saw this appearance of the glory of the Lord, you would fall on your face in awe. That's amazing. This is the God you're speaking to. It's the God you're praying to, is it? Because sometimes I think in American culture, we get this idea that that God is like Morgan Freeman sitting on a cloud checking our prayer emails. Or Mr. Rogers, maybe the worst, the old man upstairs. I don't know. I'll check with the old man upstairs, see what he says. After you've read this, it's blasphemy, right? In 2019, my wife and I lost our little boy. He was three. His name was River. He drowned in her pool, and I was there with him in the backyard, 20 feet from him. The boys were playing water gun fight, and I was with my daughter. We were playing gymnastics, and I was spotting her, holding her legs, and And I remember thinking, after maybe 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds, I'm not sure the time, but I remember thinking, it's quiet. Where's River? And I turned around, and he was in the pool in a locked, gated pool. We don't know how he got there, but it had only been a minute. I jumped him after him. I I expected to, to grab him, and he would cough and be... Scared, and I would say, Riv, what are you doing, buddy, buddy? You can't, what are you, how'd you get in here? You can't do that, buddy. Don't scare us like that. But that's not what happened. He didn't have a pulse. And I, I, I tried CPR, but I didn't really know how. I was compressing his chest, but the, at some point I remember thinking, 
Am I pressing too hard? And then the second thought is, does it matter? EMT got there. All the emergency services arrived, but we lived out in the country. It was 10 minutes that took them to get there. That's too long. They got his heartbeat back, but his brain was damaged. My wife and I relied on this big God. The God that dwells in unapproachable light. The God that if we even try to come up with an adjective to describe it, we fall on our face. And we went through the Bible scripture after scripture and promise after promise after promise. And we stood on that word because our life depended on it through grief that terrible. And through that, people would come up to us or message us and they would say, can you help us with our grief? Can you show me in the Bible where it talks about suffering? Tell me the verse, tell me the verse in the Bible where it talks about suffering so I could read that verse and I could be healed. And I would say, well, sure. The Bible's full of verses of suffering. It's 66 books of it. And it talks about how God is near to the brokenhearted and how he leads us through suffering and how he doesn't stop it, but he guides us through it for a plan. Paul says that this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That word right there, preparing us, preparing is very important because that means that it's not meaningless. Preparing means working for us. The suffering is working for us. And many times, it's so that we don't have to rely on ourselves anymore. We have to rely on God. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So I could take that verse or any verse about suffering and you could hang it in your kitchen and you could look at it. But I've realized over the years, it's not enough. If you don't get the full spectrum, if you don't get the full context, if you're not reading the full book, then you're not getting the full scope of God's character. I mean, asking me about finding a scripture about suffering, it's like, it's like this. It's like a kid comes up, 18-year-old kid, he says, hey, Granger, I'm suffering, man. I'm really having trouble paying my rent. And I heard that the Marine Corps offers free housing. Can you show me in the Marine Corps handbook where it talks about free housing? I'd be like... Well, yeah, yeah, the Marine Corps offers housing, but that's a fraction of the purpose of the Marine Corps. And if you go in after that, if that's what you're looking for and that's what you're holding on to and you have no idea of the, the grand purpose of the Marine Corps, as soon as the bullets start flying, you're running home. You're saying, I just want a free housing. You want a Montana reference? 
Say we're hiking, beautiful white fish, right? And you say, I'm thirsty. And I say, there's some water, drink that. And you say, where does it come from? And I go, I don't know, who cares? It's water, drink it. You'd be, you'd be pulling out your iodine tablets and you're filtered on your water bottle. Of course it matters where it comes from. Of course it, the source matters. Then what if I said, you want some water? I could take you to a pristine, high mountain, underground spring with the coldest, most delicious water you'll ever taste. And then I take you to this cave, and we could see the water dripping through the rocks, and it's just perfectly filtered. And you're like putting your water bottle out there, filling it up, because you see the source. You're beholding the glory of the source, right? You can't trust anything. You can't trust the benefits if you don't know where the source is. It's the same with God. Can't just look for relief in suffering. We have no idea who it's coming from. This mother reached out to me on Instagram, and she said, can you help me? Usually I answer that question with no, but I could point you towards the one that can. She said, my son is hurting. He lost his son, just like you did, to drowning. And it's been two years, and he's not getting better. And I'm worried about him, and I don't want to lose my son like I already lost my grandson. I said, oh, I'll talk to him. So I, I talked with this guy. We, we, we talked a lot. And then finally, I said, we need to meet in person. We only lived about an hour apart. I said, can we meet halfway for lunch? So we met. And as soon as he walked in the restaurant, I saw his face. I knew. I knew this guy's hurting. I see it all over his face. And he said, Granger, I'm just, I'm tired of people telling me that God needed another angel. I'm tired of people telling me that some people are just too beautiful to be on this earth any longer. I'm tired of people telling me that God saves his best battles for his greatest soldiers. I said, I agree, man. I, I don't like those, those sayings either, even though they come from a good place. But then he said something that stood out to me. He said, I'm tired of people telling me that everything happens for a reason because God would never allow this reason to happen. I let it sit for a second, let the air settle. And I said, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it now. Take it home. You can think about it. But if God didn't allow the death of your son, does that mean he wasn't strong enough to stop it? Or was he too naive to see it coming? I said, can I tell you about my God? He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, totally sovereign. Nothing slipped past him totally purposing, totally planning, and even the bad he purposes for good. Job asked a question like that. Job asked a question to God like this. And what I wanted this guy to know is that if not even a sparrow falls to the ground, from the Father, 
how much more would an image bearer matter to him in a death like this? How much greater of a plan would it be? How much greater of a purpose would this be? And when Job asked God this question, we might think God would say, I don't know, Job, I'm so sorry. Let's just hold it. I'm here for you. I have steadfast love and I'm never going to forsake you. I'm so sorry. That's not what he did. God said, Job 38, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? I love this. I love a big God because when I'm hurting in extreme circumstances, I want a general. This says, I'm with you. Dress for action like a man. We're going to war. Something really bad happened to you? Hey, that must mean a big purpose. I need this. I crave this. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's hard to trust that rest if we don't know who's asking for it. If I showed you that clean, pure, cold mountain water, you would drink and drink and drink and never be thirsty again. That's exactly what Jesus offers us. So we don't question, we praise. We praise. You know, that's the reason for our existence, to glorify God. That's why we were created. Isaiah 43, 21 says, the people whom I formed for myself, why? That they might declare my praise. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. And we see this connection between glory and praise and holy. It's a connection here. God is holy, set apart, perfect. And the outward manifestation of that is glory. And the way we respond to it is praise. We praise the glory of his holiness. Everything else from that is downstream. Relief from suffering, rest, hope, peace, love, even evangelism, all of it is downstream. It's all benefits of the source of praising the glory of God. It's important to know that we don't praise so that we get some of the benefits. I'm going to praise you, God, so that I get relief. We don't do that. That's like me telling my wife, babe, I, I love you and I adore you so that you make my favorite spaghetti. <laughs> That's manipulation. That's not praise. It doesn't work that way. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So the beholding is seeing the glory with unveiled face, we behold the glory, and then we taste the grace. You don't behold the glory. You don't see it. You don't taste the grace. God relentlessly pursues the praise of his people. He'll do anything to get it, including killing his only son. Son. 
That kind of relentless pursuit is the ultimate love because our mental health depends on it. Our ultimate joy depends on it. We got to know who the source is. But I hear the questions. All right, why is it set up like this? Like God creates beings so they praise him? It's kind of weird. It's like a little narcissistic, selfish, right? I love, I love this analogy. Imagine, imagine going to a museum, world-renowned museum, and you've paid a lot of money for the ticket, and you've waited in line, and you get, in, you get into this museum, and you're walking through it, and you're scrolling TikTok, and you're just distracted, just scrolling TikTok, and you turn the corner, and there's this incredible, breathtaking painting, wall-to-wall, life-changing painting, the reason you came, and you're on TikTok. And the painting says, hey, look at me. Look at me. I'm why you came. I give you peace. I give you rest. Just look at me. Would that be selfish of the painting to say that? Of course not. I grew up listening to George Strait. It's a big reason why I got into music. It's a teenager. I was 14 years old. I was in his fan club. I was, I was camping out at venues to get tickets. And I would get second row in a stadium because I was in the fan club. So imagine, imagine me in the stadium, right? And I get second row. I'm 16 years old. I waited. I paid all my lawn mowing money to get this ticket. And I'm there. And as soon as I sit down, there's a camera stand right in front of my face, blocking my view. What if George Strait walked out there in that moment and said, hey, move the stand. Look to me. That'd be selfish of George Strait to say. Would it be narcissistic for George to say that? No. No. It would be crazy that he would even care yeah. in a stadium of people, and this is just little old me. I don't deserve it. I don't need it. I just can't. How, how are you looking at me? You're looking at me, and you want to share your glory with me? It's crazy. That's what he's doing. That's what God is doing. Look to me. Look to me. You'll find peace. You'll find joy. This blows my mind. I get so excited about this stuff. This blows my mind. All this, the six stories that I told you about the people that saw an appearance of the glory of God and, and they fell to their faces. You know what happens at the end of those stories? Very similar things happen in each story. This is crazy. Look, at, look, at, look back to the Daniel story. So Daniel is on his face. He's on his face seeing this crazy glory. And this is what happens next. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. 
See, seeing his glory gives us courage. Whether it's loneliness or cancer. Whether, whether we get that phone call and find out dad was in a car accident, he's not doing too good. We have courage. We stand on a God that knows, that is sovereign, that is planned, and we say, God, I'm, I'm so scared. And he says, fear not. Fear not. Deuteronomy 31 says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. We're walking through this. We could truly say, if this God, if this God revealed here in this book, the God that's an unapproachable light, the God that just looks like fire coming out of his eyes and polished bronze on his body, and he stands there and he, if this God is for me, could be against me? The answer is nobody or nothing. Man, do we see this? Do we see this? After lunch with this guy, I said, we walked outside, and I said, I want you to know something. I do believe everything happens for a reason. You better believe it. This word tells me so. I said, but we can't always see it. I said, sometimes we, we're down on the ground and we're looking at a mosaic. You know mosaic? You know those little tiny tiles in Europe and they make these incredible paintings? And we're, it's like we're on the ground and we're just looking at this little blob of tiles, and it's like, this doesn't even make sense. It doesn't look like anything. It's meaningless. This is worthless. And if we could stand up and get on a ladder and look down and go, this is a masterpiece. I was looking here, but this is actually a beautiful scene with clouds and birds and rivers and lakes and trees. But we can't see it because... We're not supposed to. If we could see the whole picture from the very beginning, we'd be like, oh, awesome. God, I'm going to work on the clouds. And he's like, I don't want you in the clouds. I want you right here in the grass. And I told this guy, I said, losing river was the most terrible thing that's ever happened to me, but it wasn't all bad. As I'm starting to pull back and see the mosaic, no, it's not all bad. And I said, I could prove it to you because I lost my river. Here I am today with you who lost your son, a total stranger. And I'm telling you about an almighty sovereign God that has planned everything. Look to him. Rest in him. Praise him. Father, preach this word into our hearts. Let us see you for who you are. God, an unapproachable light. So bright we can't even come close. In these bodies, we can't even get close to you. It's so, it's so fearful even thinking about something that great. So we fall on our face 
that we're reminded that you, you come to us and you touch us and you say, stand up. You were greatly loved when we didn't even deserve it. Let us see you for who you are, your glory. Whoever's watching this message years from now, let us see you for who you are, God. When we pray, we want to know you. We want to read this book. We want to read this Bible and see you revealed on every page of 66 books. We want to see you there. Unveil our faces, God. Open our eyes, open our hearts so that we finally could never be thirsty again. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's just take a moment. Eyes closed, heads bowed. Just all very much sitting in response to the magnitude of the message that we've just heard. An appeal to open our eyes and see the greater painting and not just the tiny little piece of tile that we've been staring at that feels so painful. An invitation to look at the heavens and consider who is the one who called all of these stars out by name. Who causes the tides to change and the seasons to move and the sun and the moon to dance around the heavens who created all these things and knows every cell within our bodies and invites us to participate in the dance of the glory of creation. And I feel led to pray for a couple groups of people. First of all, those who you would say, I needed this message because I have been trying to handle and navigate my pain with a small sickly God who is of little help to me because he's only 90 pounds and has lots of good intentions, but has no ability to stop bad things from happening or bring his good plans to pass. And as you today have heard from God's word, such a life-changing message of a God so big and so great that he doesn't need our praises, but he invites us into the story to be changed from grace to grace and glory to glory. Not as though we've been given the password to an ATM machine to spit out whatever we need whenever we ask for it, but to have our lives changed as they're woven in to the grandeur of God's glory. And you would say, with what I'm facing, this cancer, this divorce, this heartache, this depression, this loss. I need a safety net to fall into, a God that can support all of my weight, and I can trust everything to him. And if you would be honest enough to say, I needed this message to have my eyes open to a God so big, could you just raise your hand up all across our church? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We'll never be the same if we see you in your glory. We'll never be the same because we won't need answers. We won't need to know why. We'll simply trust you. 
I don't need to know where we're going. I don't need to know how we're going to get there. I just need to know that I'm with the one who created the heavens and the earth, the maker of the mountains. So, Father, may we go forth from this moment where we heard you being praised, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, willing to say, here am I, send me. May I do the bidding and be the messenger sent from the one who is holy and throned in the praises of his people. Bless these, Jesus, as they're commissioned to go and to tell, to show and to share the goodness of a God that can't be understood but will be worshipped, whether we choose to participate or not. You can put your hands down. I want to now pray for another group of people. Those of you who are here today and you've never said yes to Jesus or having at some point or another heard a message or responded, but today you would, if you're honest, say you're not following him. And hearing Jesus presented, not as the junior high Jesus, who's 90 pounds soaking wet, but the Jesus resplendent in glory with the sword coming out of his mouth, white, hair white like wool, eyes burning like fire, a name written on his thigh, who comes with a rod of iron to rule and to reign, who is a conquering king, but also shed his blood as a lamb slain from before the foundations of the earth. And here today, if you're honest, you've been turning to sewage water, spoiled water, contaminated water to satisfy you when that crystal water that Granger was talking about is offered to you to quench your thirst. Pornography can't satisfy that that you're looking for it to do. Neither can getting high with your friends. Neither can any accomplishment in this world that you could ever have and think it would now satisfy you. Only Jesus. And so if you're here today and you would say, Levi, I want to have a relationship with God. I want to go to heaven. I want to live on purpose. But most of all, I want to take my place as someone who's receiving God's glory by worshiping him in his holiness and letting him add all these other things unto me in his good time. If that's you I'm describing, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. And if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, to acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, turning over the control of your soul to him, I would love for you to pray it with me. I'm going to ask our church family that you hear around you to pray it with us so that you're not alone. You're having a whole family who has your back as you step into this new decision. Say this to God. He'll hear you. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong, and I can't do anything about that. Your word says I'm dead on the inside. But I believe Jesus died in my place and rose from the dead in power. So today I turn over my life to you. I ask you to forgive my sins. Give me a new heart. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name.